Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles this morning, uh, we're continuing on just in the series that we've been looking at uh, over these couple of weeks. This morning's title is The Faith of Our Sons. And tonight I'm going to carry on in this theme. Uh, the Lord has given me some messages in this area, but tonight uh, I feel the Lord has directed me as the weather has changed the circumstances, but we know the Lord's in control. But tonight's message will be another generation Another opportunity for faith. But this morning it's the faith of our sons. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 and verse 8. Luke chapter 18 and verse 8. If you have your Bibles, we'll read together. If not, I'll read this verse to you. Just the back end of this verse says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith <clears throat> on the earth. And if you go back over into the book of Joshua, chapter 24, Joshua chapter 24 and verse 31. So Luke 18 and 8 says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Joshua chapter 24 and verse 31. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua, and which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. I want to read that again. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua, and which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. You know, when we move from the book of Joshua <clears throat> and the Judges, the book of Judges is an amazing book. It's like a link book between uh, Joshua and the kings. And over this period of time, hundreds of years, God in that period of time would raise up judges because as Israel would plummet down in the apostasy and backsliddenness in that time, in that cycle, if you like, God would raise up these judges and with faith in their hearts, they would rise in their generation. And in many ways, there would be a restoration. There would be a revival. There would be a renewal within, a spiritual renewal within Israel in coming back to God, the God that loved them, had done the great things for them. And then after that, what you'd find is there was the, the drawn away, there was the backsliddenness, there was the apathy, there was the apostasy that would come and Israel would go in after other gods. They would make alignments, they would align themselves with the things of the world and other gods and they would go a-whoring after other gods as the scripture would tell us and then they would plummet in the darkness, their enemy would overcome and would, would crush them, they would go into defeat and then out of that would come come then this is the pattern of the book of judges then there would be another judge that would be raised up men and women that 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 by the by the power of the spirit of god they they got a glimmer of the eternal and faith in their hearts they would rise up and those 13 judges mentioned in the book of judges samuel being the 14th who was the prophet and judge we see a period of time of of peaks and troughs uh, and you know, it's very much like uh, the history of the church from the initial outpouring of Pentecost, of the Holy Spirit, when the church was filled with the power of the Holy Ghost, when thousands were swept into the kingdom, when that first century church then seen uh, the world turned upside down by the power of the gospel. And ever since, 
Really, 2,000 years ago, you can see a similar spiritual pattern that has happened in the church or the people of faith. We see times of great encouragement and renewal and spiritual outpouring and refreshing. And then we see that in generations come, sometimes locally, sometimes nationally. But you can see, if you know anything about church history, that there's, there's like peaks and troughs, there's seasons that we see that God would work in. And then there would be men that would be raised up or women that would burst through with the faith of God in their hearts. And they would, they would see a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit and a great renewal and a great revival. It's been a long time, uh, really, since there's been a, an outpouring on the, of the Holy Ghost in these shores and this part, uh, the official, as far as officially in church history goes, the last outpouring of the Spirit of God was in 1949 in the Hebrides. That's not to say that God has not been working. God has been moving. There's been a localized revivals and outpourings. I believe in the 50s, there was a, a man by the name of James a white, I believe his name, but he's seen a move of the Spirit of God. There were many souls saved in this part. And I know that's the same for other parts of the nation, that there has been pockets of revival or moves of the Spirit of God. But as far as we understand now, it's been quite a long time of 1949 or 1950 as the measure to go by since there was a move of the Spirit of God in that way. Then we're looking now at at 70 years later, and, and we have seen then the, the apostasy, we have seen the backsliddenness, I suppose the world call it the sexual revolution of the 1960s. It was a demonic inspired outpouring of wickedness that had plummeted the nation into darkness. We see all the laws that were brought in at that time, divorce and abortion and everything else that followed. And then now we are living on the fruit of that as a generation. <clears throat> and the reason why the backdrop of this is important because in all of this, there is the church of Jesus Christ. There is the people of faith. God's still saving. He's still healing. He still delivers in, in ones and twos and the fews. And thank God for that. And then we see that there are times that people rise up or that there's, there, is an, there is a move of the Spirit of God in the hearts that people come back to the book, come back to the faith of God, come back in the, into the ability of God, that what God is able to do and not limit the God of Israel in any way. And so in some ways, as we are looking at this this morning, we, we see a Passover from one generation into another. Now, when you look at Joshua 24 and you go into the book of Judges, there's a record here of Joshua dying Joshua 24, 31, Judges 1 and 1, and then Judges 2 and 9 all records the death of Joshua. He didn't die three times, but what we're seeing here is that there is a historical account of what was happening at that time, and it goes back and forth just a little bit so we're not confused. And as you move into the book of Judges, then, Judges chapter 1, you remember that all the days of the life of Joshua and the elders that, that Israel, Israel served the Lord and they had known the great works of God. They're talking about the great move of God, how God had delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh, how God had brought them through the Red Sea, how God had, had shown them as their enemies were defeated and the sea swallowed up their enemies, how he sustained them 
by his great power through the wilderness for 40 years. How he brought them to the banks of the Jordan. How he led them through. How he pulled the walls of Jericho down. And, and so the, the whole catalogue of the great works of the Lord were known to these men. They seen it with their eyes. They seen the, the great glory of the Lord. And now we're entering into a time. It's like a, a passing into a different generation. And Judges chapter 1 captures what's taken place at that time. If you look at Judges 1 and 1, it says, Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? So now you see the backdrop as we see the death of Joshua and a generation of men who walk with God and seen the great glory of the Lord and the works of the Lord, now we see, as it were, in some ways, it looks like a vacuum. Now the children, it says, the, the children and the sons, the sons of Joshua, they are coming and they're asking the question, who is now going to fight for us? Who is going to go up to fight against our enemy? Who is it now that's going to assume the role, as it were, take responsibility in the faith, and rise up in our day, in our generation, the faith of our sons, and actually rise up and do those great things for God. You know, they that know the Lord shall be strong and do exploits. That's what the Bible says. So now we see as a generation of fathers begin to pass into glory, and they looked at who now would be the ones that would assume their roles, who would take the baton of faith, who is it that would rise up for us now and fight for us? Who is it that are, as the fathers are being promoted in the glory as one generation passes in and are promoted to glory? They're, they're, they're being promoted into the glory of God and they're hearing the words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And as God buries his workmen, then the work of the Lord continues. But who then grasps the baton? That's really the challenge, the faith of our sons, our daughters. Who really is going to take up the baton of faith in the midst of all that's taken place and what's happening in our world today? Really, there has to be a challenge to a generation that comes behind us. And this has very much been the theme of this message over these weeks. We thank God for our fathers, for the faith, for what has been passed to us. I'm so thankful for my parents and what they've done and what they've lived and how they've lived and what they've shown and in faith. And now there's and thank God that they're still with us to show us that example. But there is a generation that comes behind. And then there, there's a generation behind me that is coming up as well. So there's, there, there's so important what are we passing down. But who's going to take that responsibility and lay hold of that baton of faith and rise up in their generation to believe God for these great exploits? So what we're seeing here is as the fathers are being promoted to glory. There's, there is a passing over to the next generation. And they're asking the question, who is going to fight for us? 
Who is it that will make the stand? Who is it that's going to stand in the gap? Who is it that's going to wage a good warfare? Who is it that's going to take up the baton? Who is it that's going to preach the gospel? Who is it that's going to go out to the streets? Who is it that's going to go into the highways and the byways? Who is it that's going to be in the prayer, the prayer closet? Who is it that's going to be in the place of seeking the Lord? Who is it that's going to stand up? And be counted in this day. They're asking the question. Lord who's going to fight for us now. Because for so long they've lived as it were in the shadow of the generation. That was above them. Not the generation of those fathers. Now we see God is beginning to promote all these great men into the glory. And the fathers of the, of the faith have received their reward. And finished their course. Heard the words and it's a significant moment. You know, Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians 4 and 15 because I believe it's similar to the day in which we are now living. He said, you know, you have 10,000 instructors in Christ in 1 Corinthians 4 and 15. Now, what is Paul saying? You know, those fathers were so precious in the faith. And Paul says to the church of Corinth, it seems to be there was an abundance of men that had, that were instructors or that basically had great opinions. And you could have found a man in every corner to give you an opinion in the things of God. And it's very similar today. You have, you have literally thousands of people, thousands of, I suppose, self-appointed men and teachers and women and all the ideas and all the opinions. But but Paul said these words, but you have not many fathers. In other words, what he's saying, there's two different things here. You know, you, you can get a teacher anywhere you want. You can get someone who's an instructor, someone with an opinion. My goodness, everyone has an opinion of what way it should be done, how it should be done. It's done this way, that way, that's not right, this is right. Everyone has an opinion. But there's a difference because the church is laden down with instructors. But, but there is a lack of fathers. And what the fathers would do is they had the heart of the father. You see, the father's not just trying to get his opinion across. Actually, he's not really interested in opinions. What he's trying to do is, as the father would care for a son or a daughter, he's trying to nourish them in the way of the Lord. He wants them to grow. He wants them to assume responsibility. He wants them to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He wants them to assume that place and that purpose of God for their life. He's not there just to give them an opinion, but he wants to encourage them in the way of the Lord. He wants them to grow up and to be strong and mighty men and women in the Lord. That's the heart of a father. But you're going to get loads of opinions. Loads of people have said, listen to this or do that. But really, the father will nourish alongside and say, listen, this is the way you walk in it. You live for God. You keep close to the cross. You keep your eyes on Jesus. You have a love for the brethren. You care for the flock of Christ. You go in the way of the Lord. You'll be strong. But this... Those opinions, there's thousands of them. But a father's heart will say, this is the way. Son, you got to walk this way. you got to live this life. you got to war a good warfare. Don't be entangled with the things of the world. But walk a life that pleases God. And he'll encourage you. And he'll pick you up when you fall. And he'll encourage you to not, not turn to the left or to the right. And when you do feel, you know, you'll not find the instructors. You'll not find all the opinions. But you'll find the heart 
heart of a father that says, son, you can get up again. You can walk again. You can live again. You can get the victory again. But the instructors aren't to be found. And so we have thousands of instructors. But Paul's saying, listen, there's not many fathers. There's not many fathers. You see, the day's coming. Paul writes to Timothy, his son in the faith, in 2 Timothy 4 and 3. He says, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts, they'll heap to themselves teachers. I mean, there's going to be abundance of people with opinion and teachers having itching ears. They'll find the teacher that tells them what they want to hear. You know, we'll find someone that will agree with me to let me live the way I want to live because it's just the lust of a man's flesh. But you know, a true father will tell you the truth, even if it, even at times when it isn't something that you want to hear, but he'll do it because he loves you and he encourages you in the faith. And so there's a time coming, and I believe we're in that generation right now, that they'll not endure sound doctrine. They might have been saved for hundreds of years and have all the opinions. But listen, they don't want to endure the sound doctrine of God's word. And they'll get teachers that that will identify with them in what way they want to live their life. But here in the midst of that, what you'll find is there is in this generation, I believe this, there actually is in this generation that says even amongst the young, and this is important because you know, the, the young face so many battles today that I, I believe we all face battles, but I, I honestly believe, and not to over-exaggerate it, but there are so many things that are there to try and draw away the youth of today. There's so many things in this world now, so many contraptions, so many traps, so many snares, so many tools that the enemy has to try and draw them away. But in the midst of that, I believe, in the depths of hearts, there are some that are saying, who's going to fight for us? Who's going to fight for our generation? Who's going to fight for our teenagers? Who's going to fight for those in their 20s or 30s and so forth? Who's going to fight for the day in which we are living in the good fight of faith? The cross, the gospel, the hope of our nation is the gospel of Jesus Christ, nothing else. And you know, we've come to a day like David's day when not only, not only when are we finding this being said amongst the church who will fight for us, but you know, in David's day, it was the enemy that was saying to David in 1 Samuel 17, the Philistine, the giant, you know what he said? Is there actually not a man that will fight me? You know, the enemy got so filled with pride and arrogance and seen the despair the, how, how despondent that Israel had become and how, how frail and how weak it had become. And the giant was standing in the valley and saying, is there not a man that you can give me that's going to fight me? Is there actually no one? Is there nobody in the midst of all of this that's going to rise up and live for God and, just, and, and, and live for Christ and say, listen, I'm going to live for Jesus no matter what? And here in the midst of it, the enemy saying, is there not someone that you can give me? And all they could find was a shepherd boy. And thank God that there was one in the midst that says, I'll fight you. Not because he was strong, but because he knew the God that he served and he loved. And the God that he served was the God that was able to slay the giant. 
It's because he knew God. He walked with God. He lived for God. And he was only a young man. And so the enemy, I believe there's an echo of that in in some way across our nation today amongst the young that are coming up, amongst the generation that we have come to, that there is that, that voice of the wicked one that's saying, is there not a man? Have you no one in there that's going to stand up for me? Are all of them going to backslide and go into the world? Are all of them going to live a religious life, come to church on a Sunday? But is there not one of you that will stand up and say, as for me, I'm going to serve Jesus. Is there not a man amongst you? That's what the enemy was saying. And a shepherd boy bringing a packed lunch to the front line and all the great generals that were in the trenches, he's saying, what's going on here? He says, how dare he defy the armies of the living God? Friends, I want to tell you this morning, I thank God for the man Christ Jesus because he has defeated the enemy and God has given us the victory and he has given us a faith. And if there's a young man or an older man or a middle-aged man or a younger woman or an older woman that would lay hold of the faith of this book and put their eyes on Jesus then there is a people that are going to stand for him, not in our strength. God forbid that we try to do anything in the strength of our own flesh, but in the power of the cross, that our God is more than able, that our God has triumphed over all the powers of darkness, that our God this morning, he is seated on the right hand of the Father, far above all principalities and powers, and he has given us the victory. We are seated with him this morning in heavenly places. Praise the Lord this morning. There is victory in Jesus. So the enemy saying, who will fight me? The question amongst the people of God and the sons of Joshua were, who's going to fight for us? Now Paul writes to his son in the faith in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12 and he says these words, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. He's speaking to Timothy, his son in the faith, to endure the hardships, to, to be a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's saying here, fight the good fight of faith. And then some might say, is, well, what is the fight of faith? What is the good fight of faith? What does that mean? Paul, of course, in the context of the chapter, he lays out what the real fight is. And I, 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 want, I want you to look at it this morning, the real fight for so many individually and so many battles. And friends, I've known this in my own life. I've known the failures of it. I've known the victory of it as well. But I've known the failures of the flesh and the, and the frailty and the wanderings and the backsliding. But I've also known that God is faithful and that God is able to raise us up in faith as we walk in obedience to his word that the victory of God comes into our lives. There is a victory. It is always victorious in Christ. But it's living in that victory by the faith of God. But Paul writes in the context of the fight of faith. Because this is where the real battles are. The real battles are right in this heart this morning. The real fight of faith is here. The real fight of faith is here because when that victory's here, friends, then the victory will be out there. But the victory has to be in us. 
In 1 Timothy 6 and 7, Paul, uh, 1 Timothy 6 and 6, Paul says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, in the context here is, in that time, that godliness was equated to what you actually possessed in a material sense. That is very much the world that we're living in, even the church world. You know, you must be a great Christian because you have so many houses, lands, and fast cars, and all the flesh cash. That that makes you a successful Christian. That's completely non-scriptural. And know today that's pumped about how it looks. But here, Paul says, godliness with contentment is great gain. I tell you, friends, you've got the peace of God in your heart. You're saved. You know that as well with your soul. Thank God this morning, godliness with contentment is great gain. And Paul then opens it up. He says, for we brought nothing into this world. Absolutely nothing. We were born and we were born naked. Ten years ago today, our Isaac was born into this world, but he was born naked, a little baby. Every single one of us were born into this world, and we were naked. We came into this world with nothing. The first thing that they wrapped around us was those hospital blankets. I think it used to be if you were a boy, it was blue, and if you were a girl, it was pink, because that's the way God made it. He made it a boy, and he made it a girl. And you were wrapped in those little blankets and then you were given to your mummy. You came into this world, I came into this world with nothing. And it is certain we carry absolutely nothing out of this world. Listen, friends, and all the things that we own and have and all the material possessions. I tell you, friends, if that is your contentment, you're going to be disappointed because in this world you brought nothing, and out of this world you'll bring nothing with you. It's like the story we've told it before of the great funeral of the very rich man and the two wee men sitting at the back, and one says to the other, one says to the other, did he leave much? And the wee man says he left it all. You see, you're going to leave it all, and all of it's for the fire, every bit of it. And so we find here Paul's talking about another fight of faith that we don't normally look at. He says, and having food and raiment, let us therefore therewith be content. You know, I have food on our table. I have clothes on my back. Paul says that's you, you should be content with what you have. But the world, you see, are driving driving men and young people to reach higher skills and make sure you have the best and the most and all the flesh and all the cash. You get you get caught into that reel of that worldly mind, friend, as is what Paul says. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts and which drown men, they drown in it and destruction, and perdition. Don't you think for a moment, because someone's driving around in the fastest car, with the nicest house, and all the plastic, and all the cash, I want to tell you, friend, the Bible says, that's not what gain is, that's not what is contentment, that's foolishness, and it will bring hurtful lust, it will drown men into destruction, for the love of money is the root of all evil. By which some coveted after they have erred from the faith. You see, there's a different world here. This is the fight of faith. Paul's saying, you want to fight that, that's going to drown you, bring destruction. It'll bring much hurt and temptation. It will actually even cause destruction and cause you to err from the faith. 
but be content with what you have. Be content with the food on your table, the clothes on your back, that your name's in heaven and one day Christ is coming for you, that you're saved eternally. He says they pierced themselves through with many sorrows, but thy O man of God, flee these things. And here's what he says. Here's the real fight of faith. Follow after righteousness. Follow after godliness. Follow after faith. Follow after love. Follow after patience. Follow after meekness. Here's the real fight. These things are the important things. You know, so many times we're thinking so many other things are the real important things in church life. I want to tell you, these are the things that are important. Follow after righteousness. Follow after godliness. Follow after faith and love and patience and meekness. Then he says, fight the good fight of faith, saints. This is the real battle. And it's not easy sometimes, older or younger. This is the real battle that goes on in the hearts of men and of women. The fight of faith, to live a life for God that pleases Him, produce the fruit, the meekness, the love, the patience, the godliness, the righteousness. Live a life that pleases God rather than pleases men or pleases the flesh. That will bring destruction. But live a life that pleases the Lord. The generation are asking, that come after Joshua, they're saying, who, who is going to fight for us? But friends, the Lord's purpose never changes. In Christ, let me tell you this morning as we're coming to a close, in Christ there is victory for every believer. There's victory for you this morning, even if you're listening and you're not saved, you're backslidden, you're cold in heart. There's a purpose, there's a plan for your life in Christ, and there's victory in Jesus. There's victory every day with Jesus because the battle is already won in Christ. That great peace that comes when striving and and, and pursuing all ceases, and that sweet surrender at the cross of Christ. Praise God this morning. There's victory for me, and there's victory for you in Christ. The Lord said, to, 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 to God's people, to the sons of Joshua, when they asked the question, the Lord said, Who shall go up? Who is going to fight us, fight for us? And the Lord said to Judah and, and Judges 1 and 2, Behold, Judah will go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. I've given him what, what God is saying, you're now going to fight just like your fathers fought, but I've given it into your hand. Now this whole theme of I have delivered or I have given is all based on the covenant and the promise that God had made. When you look at it, Joshua sent out two spies and then returned from Jericho and said these words in Joshua 2.24, Truly the Lord had delivered into our hands all the land. They seen that the Lord had delivered, the Lord had given. Do you know that Hebrew word for the Lord gives or the, 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 the give or to, to be delivered is just the, the, the word Nathan. I have given, the Lord has given. They had to enter in and they had to by faith take what God had already appointed for them. 
They had to by faith enter in and take it, but the Lord had given. And so it was faith that operated in claiming the promises of God to act on God's word. And so we can know the word all day, but unless we actually act on the word of God, unless we obey the word of God, unless we by faith lay hold of the promises of God, we may know this in an intellectual way. We may know it as a scripture that hangs on our wall. We may know it as a, as a truth and, and actually believe it, but we have to enact upon it in obedience and make the promises real in our lives. And so Joshua sends the spies out. They come back and say, Truly the Lord has delivered into our hands all the land. The Lord had said to Judah, Judah, you're going to go. I've delivered the land into your hand. We know that Judah means praise, but you know, it's so important here because as they began to travel down the line, even though they had the right names and they had the right things in place, but defeat was coming. They were not going to walk in the same steps as their fathers and defeat would come because of compromise. And this word Nathan is God has given. God has given. You know, thank God this morning that God has given his only begotten son. Thank God this morning that he has given us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God this morning that he breaks the chains of sin and he sets the captive free. Thank God he brings peace to troubled hearts and troubled minds. Thank God he brings healing to bodies that have sickness and disease. Thank God this morning he breaks the oppression on a mind. Thank God this morning that there's victory in the blood of Christ my Savior. Thank God this morning that there's victory against the powers of darkness and every lion's thought that comes. Thank God this morning the presence of Jehovah hearts are mended. Thank God this morning that there's victory for us in Christ. God has given, but it's by faith this morning that we must lay hold of these promises. Who is going to fight for us? Who is it that will take the stand in this day and the faith of God in their hearts? Will the sons Will the sons of this generation, the sons of this generation, grasp the faith of the fathers? Will they grasp the same faith? Will they lay hold of the book and the promises? Will they actually stand up and be counted? Or will we wait and long again for a generation to rise up in the arms of faith and by the power of the Holy Ghost and stand up for God in a wicked and a dying world? Oh, friends, this morning... The faith of our sons. The challenge, as a challenge this morning, is there's victory in Jesus. But it's faith this morning, the fight of faith, the good fight, the path that the Master has led before us. It's a narrow path. It's not a wide path. You cannot, you cannot walk the wide path and the narrow path at the same time. But there is a path and there's a way and it's a path of life and it's victory for the believer. But who's going to fight in this day? Who will rise up in the hour in which we live with the same faith? This surely is the generation, another generation, another opportunity for faith. We'll look at that later on, finishing this off tonight. But it is a challenge to us, friends and saints this morning, for us to fight the good fight of faith and to leave of the Lord tarries to pass a baton on to sons and daughters who are coming behind us and say we can walk this way as our fathers have walked it. We can live this 
by the faith of this God, and we can see the victory of Christ in our time. Oh, friends, I believe this this morning, that there's a people here that want to see that victory. We know it's real. We know it's there. We know it's already been won, but that victory lived out in our lives every day as we stay close to Jesus. May there be a challenge to our hearts today. Who's going to fight for us? May you say like Joshua, as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your help. Thank you for your strength. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray this morning, Lord, that some heart has been touched, some life has been encouraged. Oh, God, to fight the good fight of faith. Lord, even if we've failed, Lord, we've fallen, we've wandered, we thank you that there's mercy we can get up. Thank you, Lord, there's repentance. Thank you, Lord, there's a fountain filled with blood. And oh, God, this morning I I pray, Lord, you would encourage your people to rise up in the arms of faith. Lord, in Jesus' name, to believe you for these days. Lord, to fight this good fight. Oh, God, we give you the glory this morning. Give you the praise in Jesus' precious name. Amen.